Well, but there's aliens. Greetings and salutations and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. Most people had finally given up hope. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack, a total joke, a waste of time, or a slash. Totally killer, pun intended. We believe horror is for everyone, and as such, we're rating these movies with the perspective we've all gained from our varying walks of life and the flavors of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris, I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week I'm joined by the superfly space guy, Mac. Hola, muchachos. The gore lover, Alexis. Hey, everyone. The cowardly creeper, Ryan. Hiya. And the Scream Queen, Paris. We have a fresh one for you this week, folks, as we explore a film that's finally been released after being delayed due to COVID-19. Before we get down to business, though, we have some follow-up. Oh my god, this movie was delayed forever. I actually forgot about that until you just said it. But let's follow up. We have uh, results from a movie that we recently reviewed called Shaun of the Dead. Now, this movie was very popular, both among our team and just well-regarded amongst the people. On our poll results, we have 11% that had the nerve to give it a hack, and I am among those 11. And the other 89% pretty much loved this movie. I feel like this is a very much like the people who like it, love it kind of movie. Oh, yeah. I was not on that recording, but I will agree, love the mess out of this movie. And I got a shout out in front of the show, Alan, who legit told me in person that he had the same DVD that I also own somewhere in a bin, and he knows where his is, so. Yeah, and he hates me for how I feel about this movie. That's right. He should. (laughs) Wow. We have a comment from Julianne on Facebook who said, Absolute slash. This movie is a riot and honestly never gets old. Everything Edgar Wright touches turns to gold. And that actually rhymed Julianne. And I don't know if you meant to do that, but I loved it. Honestly, that woman is nothing if not intentional. We have another comment from Jason who said, Awesome slash. I remember when this movie came out here in America and you could get a foreign DVD before theatrical release. I think I watched it five to six times over the course of a week. Loved it. I think that's also how I saw high tension. Mad respect. We have a comment from mstorm73 on Instagram. He said, One of the best theater experiences I had watching this movie. They were serving English ale during the show, and it made for a great time. Now that, I feel like, is how I could get behind Shaun of the Dead. Give me a little beer, you know? Okay, so we have movie theaters that serve alcohol. Can we just have pubs that show movies? Can that just be a thing? I was at a gay bar one time where I just watched all of Silence of the Lambs on the screen they had playing instead of talking to anybody. I'm sorry. Does that count? No, it's creepy. That sounds like something I would do. I like wasn't in the mood to flirt with anybody, so I was like, I'm just gonna like watch Silence of the Lambs, like have a few drinks, and if anybody tries to talk to me, I'll just pretend they're not there. <laughs> That's me at the bar regularly, but watching sports. Relatable. Right? So imagine if they were like playing good movies and you're just there to support your friends. You're like, yeah, I'll be here. All right, we have another comment. It's from one of our patrons, Darren. He said, Shaun of the Dead is an absolute slash for me. Everything from the comedy to the gore are perfect, but what sets this apart from other films in the genre is the emotional weight it carries. It blows my mind how Edgar Wright and the cast managed to take all these elements that on paper don't belong together and make them into a funny, emotional story with such depth. Interesting to hear the crew so split on this one. Going in, I would have put money on a universal slash, but the contrasting opinions made this episode a great listen. Well, I'm glad you appreciated me trashing a movie you like. And finally, we have another comment from one of our patrons, Freya. She actually paused the episode to leave us this comment. She said, pausing the up quickly since the topic of six degrees of separation came up because my cousin and her children live down the road from where they filmed Simon Pegg walking to the corner shop for the Cornettos. And I was actually visiting while they were filming that scene. We stayed by the window the whole day eating popcorn, trying to catch a glimpse of the zombies. 
which we also know was the first thing that was filmed on that production. So she was really there for the beginning of it. Just bringing everything and everyone closer to Hacker Slash. I love it. I love it. Six degrees. We're this close to Simon Pegg. One of the things I love is, is Darren and Freya are both on the same part of the world that is quite opposite of ours. And it was really cool to see them interacting uh, all over on our Patreon in the comments from this. And I think that's one of the coolest things about being able to do this show, right? You're first off reaching people all across the world, but then also bringing people together wherever they may be. We also have our Canadian patrons are starting to have a little fan club of their own. Oh my god, I love that. Well, we have a new member of the fan club, and it's one of our patrons. His name is Harold. Harold, welcome to the patron family. I hope to hear from you soon, either in the form of a call, or maybe send us a message about the movie we're going to review tonight. And that's our follow-up. In 2018, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt collaborated on a film that served as an allegory for the terrors of parenthood. Now, audiences fell in love with the film, giving it largely positive reviews for its performances and its spectacular sound design. Krasinski originally had no interest in expanding on the film, though. But after the success of that story, producers asked him to write a theoretical sequel. While the intention was for the project to ultimately be handed off to other filmmakers, Krasinski offered to return as director himself. Now, this film expands on the story of the Abbott family, both by exploring the events that sparked the first film and following that film's aftermath and exploring what was next in store for the family. This week, we're talking about A Quiet Place 2. Now, what were you all expecting going into this? I have to be honest, this one was kind of hard to get to without having heard anything about it. Like, I think we've all been waiting for it for so long. So I had heard a couple people saying that it is more of the same. So that's kind of the idea that I went into this with, just expecting like, I don't know, maybe more of the same in a good way. But in some ways, I did think possibly it could be a bad spin on it as well. Yeah, I hadn't heard much. I just was really excited for this to come out. And I didn't want it to ruin anything. So I didn't watch too many trailers or anything like that. I was the opposite. I watched all the trailers leading up to this, especially because it got delayed so many times. And Honestly, I think because the trailers focus so much on the prequel aspect, I actually was expecting it to just be a prequel. Oh, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. And then when that didn't happen, I was like, oh, okay, so we're back where we were before and we're never going back to the past. Got it. So that was a surprise to me. I think I too had really gained a lot of expectations just by watching the trailer or trailers over the course of however long it was that we had to wait for this to finally release. But I had a different reaction from Ryan and Alexis. I did not go into this expecting more of the same. I went into it expecting a director that we trusted for doing a good job. I went to this expecting an amazing cast and then the addition of Killian Murphy. So that in and of itself was very exciting for me. So I was super pumped to get into this film. Yeah, I remember watching the trailer for this and I think obviously you see things going down in the beginning of it, which Paris, of course, led you to believe it was just a straight up prequel. But I do remember there being some scenes of some bottles rattling. You see the, the baby in the box from the first film. And I was curious to see how they would explore that dual timeline. Because I did not want a structure where they'd be in present time, flash back to the past, then back to the present, then back to the past. But that being said, I went into it expecting it to be really good. And I try to keep an open mind with things. I know I'm really excited for a lot of the horror movies that are going to be coming out later this year, but this is one where 
the quality of the first film was just so damn high that knowing that the same, you know, pretty much the same team is behind it, I was going to be truly shocked if it dipped in that quality at all. But how are you folks feeling while watching it? This is one of those films, and I guess you could put A Quiet Place into that category as well, but it's one of those films that has, I think, a slow enough but fast enough pace to where while you're watching it, you're on the edge of your seat, but there are moments of downtime that feel productive at the same time. It's really hard to describe. Like It just feels like a journey. So you have the suspense, and I, I heavily enjoy those moments, but I think there's enough time to build a story around it and not just rely on suspense. I needed those lulls a little bit because I think I screamed fuck in the theater. More than once. <laughs> My boyfriend did too and flung popcorn, so you're not alone. Had I not eaten the uh, popcorn before the movie even started, I would have had popcorn to uh, fling everywhere. But yeah, I was so intense, especially when you're going back and forth between sound and no sound that I wasn't sure what to expect. And I think I needed those lulls in this timeline to actually appreciate all the other stuff going on and like look forward to that part. I really wish I will say this probably once on the podcast that I wish this is a little bit longer. I think I needed a little bit. Um, there are a few scenes that I wish were drawn out a little bit more. So I would appreciated this a little bit longer in some certain sense. Oh, that's very interesting. I wouldn't say that I agree, but I have found myself to really, really want a short runtime all the time these days. I think I'm kind of aligned with what Chris was saying, where like I really expected a lot from this movie because we have so many of the same people coming from the first one. And I don't know about you guys, but like when I saw A Quiet Place the first time, I was like head over heels. I have had people in my life that are really special to me that are deaf. And so I love seeing that in a movie. I love the way it was done. So I came into this like ready for some, some good, you know, for a good movie, I guess. I don't know. I think that there are a few moments where unironically the, the quietness of this movie is not actually my favorite. And I think it's because the first time it was done in the original, it kind of caught me off guard. And in this one, there were some times where I was like, I'm, not, I'm like a little bored, like for a moment. I can vouch for that. She did say I'm bored. I did, <laughs> like in the movie theater. Uh, it's one thing to be bored. It's another to be so bored that you exclaim you're bored. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I like to talk in a movie, so that doesn't really mean much. It's a special level of boredom. <laughs> I actually feel that, Ryan. There were times where I was like, okay, it's a little too quiet around here. I was really surprised that this movie was able to capture the same feeling that I felt in the original, where you just have like a dead, quiet theater full of people, because I watched it opening weekend in theaters, and everyone is too afraid to make a noise. No one's eating their food. No one's doing anything. So I was actually pleasantly surprised to see that that feeling was still intact, though there were definitely times where I was kind of like, oh, right, let's do something with some noise, because I'm starting to lose a tiny bit of interest. Maybe it's because our theater wasn't full enough. Maybe that's where I like lost the tension that I had the first time. Mm, yeah. I think that's really interesting because I remember how quiet the first film was and I felt like this movie was less quiet. And I think it's because a lot of those sounds were so shocking that we do get. I was really happy to see not only were the stakes raised, but the, the levels of pain and the depiction of pain felt so much more realistic that it actually raised the tension quite a bit more for me. And one thing that I am so excited about 
is to be able to to look at the characters returning from the first film and look at Millicent Simmons as Regan, who's able to go from the sidelines into this like real leading starring role and to see the impact that she has on this film. This cast, you know, again, largely returning from the last film. I was so impressed that pound for pound, not only did they make me feel like we just picked up from the first film, but we're in a world where you're completely bought into what everyone else is feeling and experiencing. There isn't a lot of disparity between between the levels of performances uh, from particular groups of characters. Yeah, I have to agree. And I think if there's anything to be excited about in this movie, it's the characters because there's nothing lacking there. Surprisingly, the story is the thing that disappointed me the most here. And I know that's kind of silly. Like, what else was I expecting? But I don't know. I found myself just like, okay, but Jim isn't here anymore. <laughs> like, so uh, what are we doing now? You know, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's a little silly that I feel this way, but I can't lie that that is what was in my mind. Yeah, I was really disappointed because it seemed like I had already seen this movie, which I had essentially, but then there were also a lot of elements from other movies I had seen. And I was like, okay, I like these collectively together. But I don't know, to me, it it was just disappointing to not get more of what I had in the first movie. I'm kind of disappointed that you were disappointed in the story, Ryan. I'm also surprised that no one else was like me and, and brought beignets into the theater, not realizing that would be kind of hard to, you know, one, sneak in and two, take out of a paper bag in a quiet place. Just saying. So surprising that you're the only person that brought beignets. <laughs> I know. What is my life? But that being said, I will say I was pleasantly surprised by the story. I didn't know what to expect going into it. I knew we were going to get a quiet place. We we're going to get all the cool vibes. We we're going to see the monster. Again, I knew we were going to see a movie about people, but story-wise, you're like, where does it go from there? And I think they did a really good job of nailing a longer story arc than they had originally planned for with just one movie. And the themes that they go into in the first movie, dealing with parenthood, I think are expanded upon going into the second movie. Like we we get a story in a quiet place, but when you have the part two, it really feels like a part two for me. When it comes to the story, it feels like the continuation. It was so on the nose, though. It was, you are not your father, uh, you know, all this sort of stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh. Also, the story reminds me of Resident Evil. I didn't take away the same story that you did then. <laughs> well, when we get to originality, I have to unpack. I agree with you, Alexis. And I, you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong about things. It's, it's, there's some on the nose components. To me, I felt like you could see that this came after the success of the first one. Like, you could tell that this wasn't an original story altogether, in my opinion. I wonder if maybe that was the intention, just keep it a, like, you know, three-hour movie. And then they just chopped it in the middle and then added some stuff in the beginning. So you remembered what happened, like, almost two years ago. I don't know. How could we forget what happened almost two years ago? One thing that I can say I was disappointed by in relation to those events is that because it was not a prequel, we barely got any John Krasinski. (laughs) Right. I was like fully here for some John Krasinski in my life. And I was disappointed that we barely got any. But then I feel like they were really playing up this thing of like, we miss John so much. What are we going to do without him? You know, like, And then they also tried to like give me like Killian Murphy as a consolation prize and like no offense, I'm not into blue eyes, so he does nothing for me. (laughs) Says the man with blue eyes got it. Self loathing. Yeah. (laughs) But I was just like, "Eh, no, you're not John Krasinski. You get out of here. But look, the John Krasinski you get is good John Krasinski. It really is. It's actually peak John Krasinski. I wrote that in my notes. But there was actually one thing I was surprised by, even more so, in that they managed to give us a full 
sequel to A Quiet Place 2 without revealing any more information about these fucking alien monsters. Like, we didn't learn anything at all, except, like, maybe there's one detail related to swimming. No, we we saw the origin of how they got on Earth. Indeed. Yeah. Is the, Okay, I mean, I think that was kind of implied in the first one. Paris, I totally agree with you. But at the same time, I actually don't want much origin story because I feel like if you try to explain something to me and it doesn't fully make sense, like you just give me like a couple of details, I'm going to be pissed about it. Like it's going to ruin the whole shtick for me. I'd rather have nothing. That's fair. So a clarification then, Paris. I know you said you were surprised. Were you specifically disappointed that you didn't learn more? Not necessarily. I was like, wow, that took a lot of nerve. Uh, you did that. Gave me nothing. And I'm not mad about it. See, I'm okay with that because I, I, looking at the trailer, you have the prequel bits. You you have the bits where it looks like it takes place sometime after. I think I'd be disappointed seeing the scale of the first movie and seeing how isolated they were. I'd be disappointed if they somehow learned so much about all these things and, you know, the government's coming in with tanks and, and paratroopers to save the day and reveal this whole this whole convoluted plot. One of the things that really surprised me, though, is is actually based on the trailer. The impression I got of what Killian Murphy would be was so far from what he actually is in the movie, and we'll explore that later. I won't go much further than that, but that was such a pleasant surprise, particularly in an age where you're so concerned that the best parts of a movie get revealed in the trailer. This one showed enough to be dynamic, enough to be captivating and entertaining, but I was still surprised by the journey his character went on throughout the runtime. And I will say that some of his character it lended itself to this this underlying fear. And again, it's not like, I think there's a, there's a lot of tension in this movie. There's a lot of suspense. I don't know a lot of it is very, very scary, but it, his arc and so many other details and aspects of this movie do lend itself to this. When you stop to think about it, holy shit, this is kind of scary. But were you particularly moved by that? Is he still scaring you 28 days later? Oh my God. <laughs> you know, I actually didn't like 28 days later. I hate that joke. Thank you. I was not particularly scared, although my wife did jump a couple times while watching the movie. So I think it it has effective jump scares. So if you get spooked out, sure, you'll probably get a little scary at some points. But to me, it was just a really great like sci-fi action drama thing. I'd like to say Alexis and I in the theater definitely jumped a few times. There are a couple of good jump scares in here. They're not cheap jump scares. They're kind of like when the alien walks by in the movie Signs. Ugh. Really good quality, scare you out your pants kind of thing, you know? Yeah, it definitely wasn't cheap, but I do have to admit, in a sense, it could be considered cheap because all it was was a loud sound and something popping out. Yeah, I don't think it was as traumatic as seeing that alien walk across the screen. Okay, maybe a little bit less, but not like <laughs> the cheapest jump scares, like Paranormal Activity or like, I don't know, The Ring or something. I don't know what I'm thinking of. You know those like cheap jump scares. These weren't that. White noise. One missed call. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's not a lot of tension built up. That's what it is. Like, this did an amazing job at building that tension, and I think that's what really scared the shit out of me. They did a good job of setting the idea up that anything could happen to anyone. Maybe that's because of the first installment. But in most movies, you're not really worried about any of the main characters at all. You know they're going to be fine. You just, oh, they got me with the jump because something loud happened or whatever. But in both films, I think they set up a good job of knowing that like a main character could die. They'll kill a child off. They don't care. They're not playing games here. So when a thing pops out, like it could kill anybody at any time. They're not afraid. They'll kill a kid. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't got no morals. 
I'm sure that's what John Krasinski wants to be known for. (laughs) Yeah, for me, I was definitely scared by a lot of the jump scares, as was my boyfriend, probably more so. So this movie definitely succeeded in doing that. It was a scary, scary movie. Yeah, and I thought in some ways... I found it to be, I wouldn't say necessarily 100% scarier version than the original. I think the original just truly shocks you. But I think because of the foundation they planted and, and supported with that original film, with you know the characters that do die, there was one in here that I was like, all right, you're probably going to go any second now, right? Because you just can't make, do, you can't do all this and then not die. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll revisit that a little bit later. But one of the things that I'm, I'm most excited about is that for a movie that largely builds itself on this idea of quiet and monsters and having to remain quiet, and if you don't remain quiet, shit's going to go down, they still managed to extend the story in a way that didn't feel like a cheap cash grab. And I know that a couple of you felt like, oh, this is obviously just because the original was a success. Well, yeah, it was an incredible movie. But I feel like this storyline, particularly the the journey that his daughter goes on, is compelling enough to be its own product. And I completely, obviously, in terms of originality, this is a story that we haven't seen before. But I love the dynamic shift. Now that John Krasinski is no longer part of the picture, I love the focus on the characters and the journey they go on. So this, to me, felt like an adequate sequel. Well, yeah, she had to be in the sequel because she messed up everything in the first movie. (laughs) So she had to do it again and go off on a journey. (laughs) I don't know how I feel about originality, but I do like this movie as a whole. I just think, you know, we talked about the first time. These monsters remind me of the ones from Stranger Things. So close. So close. You know, there's apocalyptic sort of um, environment obviously reminds me of Walking Dead, some of the interactions, even then they're walking around. I feel like this is a Walking Dead scene. Pretty sure I saw that to Ryan the entire time. I'm like, this reminds me of this. This reminds me of this. Yeah, following train tracks. But also this idea that you have like, okay, there is some sort of place that you can go, whether it be like in Dawn of the Dead, yep, take your boat. The zombies can't go to the island or, you know, in Resident Evil, okay, go to the boat. That's where we can find, you know, a safe place. So that reminds me of that, you know, so I don't know. And the characters were the same in the beginning. The sun literally has the same expressions, which are adorable. That's because it takes place like the same day. Yeah, this is a continuation story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this isn't like 10 years later, it's still quiet. A Quiet Place 3, even quieter. Okay, I retreat that comment then because that does make sense. <laughs> Sorry, I saw it two years ago. <laughs> so to me, it's forever ago. I will say, let me be clear, I don't feel like this is like a cash grab sequel, because that's a totally different thing. But I do feel like the story makes me feel like there was only intended to be one movie to start with. That's all. I will say, I kind of have some similar feelings to Alexis when when we're talking about originality. Like, I don't know if I see this as the most original movie, but it gets some, if I'm not obviously comparing it to its its predecessor. But there is a lot of like zombie, apocalyptic, end of the world kind of vibes, you know? It's like a half and half. It's almost like people would do fairly predictable things if there were some sort of apocalypse. Or this is just always what we see in movies and it's not really true. Maybe. I feel like dinging this movie for originality is like dinging the Two Towers or the Return of the King for being similar to the Fellowship of the Ring. Like... It's one big old story. It's supposed to seem familiar and similar because it's a continuation and it's not just like, hey, we had some money and we wanted to make a thing, make it like, make it work, make it, figure it out. Even if that's literally what happened, 
I think the theme that we see presented with like the fears of modern parenthood and all that that we get in the first one, it moves in the second one. It doesn't just, oh, we're just going to show you the same thing. It like moves and ebbs and flows and we, we get growth out of it. Obviously, you know, there's aliens or whatever, or monsters. I don't know. There's big bad things and we have to not be eaten by them and all that, right? So you have to be quiet and you have to move slowly. And we have to have those scenes that are very similar to the other scenes that we've already seen. That's just table stakes at this point. It's the same thing when there's zombies. It's the same thing when there's anything. You have to survive. You have to be quiet. You have to watch out for other humans or whatever. But like, you just ignore all that. But there were even like death scenes that were like almost the same. I totally agree, Mac. This movie wasn't very original, and I don't think I wanted it to be. If they like switched it up and changed the game, I would have been mad. True. I wanted I wanted them to just really continue what they had built and build upon it. Now, I think they chose some unoriginal things to build upon it with, like very apocalyptic zombie movie vibes, which I didn't get at all from the original. Uh, the first movie to me was like unlike anything I'd ever seen. It was just a very like standout monster film uh, without really seeming to reference a lot of things, whereas this one I saw references left and right, all the way leading up into our ending, which I don't think was particularly original either. Effective, sure, it probably somehow provided less closure than the original ending, and in a way I felt it was a little bit cliche. For me, this ending went to full, unrealistic, dramatics, Stranger Things level of ending. And I would say I didn't hate it, but it didn't do it for me. I was slightly confused on the ending. I don't know if it was the uh, logistics of what was going on, but I don't think it was that bad. I will agree that I don't think it was that bad. I didn't find it confusing, but I don't think it was a bad ending. I don't think you can live up to the ending you get from the first movie because it's such a shocking ending. I don't think you're ever going to reach that, but I think it did a pretty darn good job of getting close. Yeah, I, th- I feel like this movie leaves me with the type of feeling I wanted to have after the devastation of the original's ending. And that's where I'll leave it. I was totally satisfied by it. It ends at a, at a particular point, and it doesn't try to go further than that. It doesn't try to hurt itself or shoot itself in the foot by explaining things even more or exploring a little bit too much further. I feel like they had they had a thing they wanted to do, and the movie was exactly as long as it needed to be to explore the ramifications of whether or not they were successful. So I was totally happy with it. But it sounds like we have some mixed feelings on some aspects of this film, and we'll see how that all shakes out into our scoring. But before we get there, Alexis, how many people died in this film? A shit ton, to say the least. But if we're counting actual bodies and physical characters that are mentioned in the credits, it's going to be three. But there's a lot more death in this movie. But what about the animals? It's debatable how the animals go in this movie, you know? It all kind of depends on how many teeth you think animals should have or something, how great their hearing should be. There's some things that happen, but PETA would be fine with it. Mm, okay. So if you if you keep extraterrestrial beings as pets, maybe this is not the movie for you. Exactly. And I don't want to judge anybody out there. We we're all into weird things. Well, let's go ahead and get into the scoring then. A Quiet Place 2. Delayed for its theatrical release, finally released now in 2021. Was it a hacker slash? There's something said about waiting a long time for something and then finally getting it. 
no pun intended on this, but with all the negative things I have said before the spoiler break, I am going to give this a slash. I really enjoy the originality that continued from the original. So with that, I think I was scared as much as I could be. You know, I'm jumping out of my seat. I get more of the monsters in this and a lot more kills and I think a lot more interaction. And I appreciate that. So I'm going to give this a slash. Yeah, I'd like to add to that that the little note that we get from John Krasinski at the beginning of this movie is really special because he he is acknowledging like we waited a really long time to watch this in a theater. And I completely agree that this is a movie that I think is worth seeing in a theater or maybe in a house full of people, you know, like a couch full of people. There is something about like being with people while you watch this and it does matter. So I appreciated that. I think I've kind of said a bunch of like maybe questionable, maybe negative things in my opinion opinion, this is more of the same and not necessarily in a bad way. But at some point I was like, okay, cool. We're like walking through the woods, being really quiet. I get it. We've done this before. I think there was so much more mystery in the first one that was very hard to bring back into this one. However, this movie is a slash. It's pretty good. It's enjoyable to watch. I don't know. Is there anything you can hate about it? I think the characters are so good that it would be hard to like bash a movie like this. It's really hard to be as good as an original. I mean, what is it? Scream 2 that always talks trash about the sequels, right? This is a sequel. It is what it is. And I didn't get enough Jim. Okay, I need more Jim. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. That's really all I'm here for. And they gave me like a little bit and then they wanted me to be sad that he was gone. But really, I just wanted him back. But it is a slash. It is not my favorite movie I've ever seen. It is not as good as the first one, which I don't think is even possible. But it's a slash. For me, I had really high hopes going into this because when I saw A Quiet Place, it was unlike anything in a theater that I'd ever experienced before. I was like, whoa, this is some sort of like third dimensional like experience with everyone being terrified, a fully packed theater, no one's making a peep. I'd never really felt that before. And it was really, it felt like a cultural moment when it came out. So I was like, okay, can they do it again? We'll see. I have to say they kind of did it again, but not as well. I think it's easy to say that this is not as good as the first one. The emotional element of this movie like really didn't strike a chord with me, and I was really invested the first time around. This time I was like, eh, the pacing was super slow, and I feel like there were a couple really long lulls where they were like developing characters in a way that I wasn't fully engaged in. Now, don't get me wrong, the movie had my full attention the whole time, but I do want to share a story about my experience going into the theater to see this. My boyfriend and I, we had a date night, and we're in the line to get our snacks. And this group of like dead ass, like 12, 14 year old boys comes in. And I was like, fuck, I hope they're not going to see the same movie as we are. Famously, my least favorite demographic of people, teenage boys are just like so mean and obnoxious to me. (laughs) But we get in the theater and I was like, okay, we're sitting. And then they come into the theater and they sit directly behind us. And I was like, babe, it's a packed theater. Like we can't even move anywhere. Like they're going to be talking the whole time. I can't do this. Like, should we just go see Cruella? And he's like, fuck no, I'm not seeing Cruella. I was like, okay, fine. I'll just suck it up. And when I tell you not a single peep was heard as soon as the movie started from any of those boys, except the occasional like scream or terror, I was shocked. I was like, if this movie can keep everybody in this theater silent, even like notoriously obnoxious groups of teens, then it managed to do the thing that Quiet Place does, which is scare everybody into silence. So for that, it will get a slash because it did the Quiet Place thing and it did it successfully a second time. What a review. That is such a touching thing to hear that it's not just a fun movie to watch, but it's a cultural vibe. Like everyone remembers how it felt to watch A Quiet Place. And hopefully they have that same feeling watching this one. I'm just going to break it down a really basic and boring way because I can't live up to that one, Paris. But I'm going to go through just kind of some major points here. 
I know we've said some things about the plot. I really enjoyed it, and I felt like the themes were really good. Um, the entertainment value was very high, edgier seat, or just kind of biting your tongue, biting your lip, whatever you're biting, you're waiting for something to happen, and then it happens, however that happens. Um, the themes presented, like I mentioned, were good, but I feel like they're even better considering you would still get value out of them if you watched this but never watched the first movie. You would, it would still impact you, and I think that's pretty powerful. The acting was, of course, phenomenal, as always. The dialogue, I think, worked really well, even though most of the movie is not spent speaking. There's The speaking that happens is good. The cinematography was beautiful. Shut your mouths. It's just so beautiful. As you're watching it, you, you're quiet, not even because you don't want to make a sound. You're just in awe of how good it looks. And there are some shots in there that are amazing. The editing that was done is insane. The music, the sound, whatever we get to actually hear aside from whispers, also incredibly well done. So John Krasinski killed it once again, directing A Quiet Place 2. It is a most major slash. Well, there's not a lot that remains to be said following those very thorough scores, but I'll give this perspective. When I'm not watching a slasher, I'm, I tend to care a lot about how a movie makes me feel. And the first film gives such a raw, visceral grief at the end of that movie. And if you made it this far, I'm sorry to have warned you that way if you haven't seen the original. But it was this movie was going to be a matter of how does that continue, right? How does how do you recover from that? How do these characters recover from that? And I know that some of you aren't, aren't really big a fan of, of how the plot moves, but the way this movie wraps up and contends with what a world looks like now that John Krasinski's character, Lee, is no longer a part of it, it creates such an opportunity for the characters in this film to be much more dynamic. And the performances alone are absolutely stellar. This movie made me feel more, and I don't know why, because I'm not saying that it's better than, but I did feel more in this film following the reactions to grief and, and grappling with loss than I did in the original when everybody's just navigating a world where things are tense and frustrating and everyone's learning how to cope, etc. I think you're softer. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. This movie made me feel more in in the sense of like a, a dynamic range of emotions because it wasn't just sadness and it wasn't just like, oh, my heart. It was also just the tension. It was seeing what the stakes were for so many different characters, seeing the surprise when we encounter more than just the Abbott family. And again, seeing how Killian Murphy's character turns out to be so much different than everything I ever expected. So this movie managed to surprise me when I didn't think it really could surprise me very much. And for that, it's undoubtedly a slash. It's absolutely worth a watch. And there you go, folks. A Quiet Place 2 from 2021 was worth the wait, apparently, as it has now earned a universal slash. Well earned. Now, as this episode releases, uh, you can actually sign up for a free trial of Paramount Plus, I believe if you're in the U.S., and you can actually check this movie out streaming there if you don't want to go experience it in theaters however it sounds like the theatrical experience is the way to go that's the move that's the vibe see it in theaters while you can either way check it out then join us in the second half so we can unpack everything we loved and talk about what we disliked we'll see you in a bit are you a mom is your baby too loud has your planet been invaded by extraterrestrial predators with hypersonic hearing that will kill you at a moment's notice if you make the slightest peep? 
Keep your baby quiet during your most desperately dangerous days with BabyBox. BabyBox features our patented protective padding technology with five different layers of soundproof softness to keep your baby quiet and comfortable. Just place your baby inside the box, cover it with the lid, and just like that, it's as if you never had a baby at all. Baby Box. Baby Box! Hi, I'm Barbara Babylon, inventor of Baby Box. Did you put your baby inside Baby Box and now it's a little too quiet? Introducing the Baby Box Baby Breather. Keep your baby quiet and alive with the Baby Box Deluxe Baby Breather Bundle. Available now. Baby Box. Baby Box! Welcome back, folks. You are now entering the spoiler zone for A Quiet Place 2, which has earned a universal slash. Now, we have a lot to get to here, but before we get into the specifics of our ratings, we do have the matter of alien gore to get to. Alexis, what's the gore score for this movie? So, I'm going to give this a low score. I will agree this movie is violent and graphic, especially compared to the original one. You see a lot more of these aliens and they're just doing their thing. But when I think of gore, blood, guts, this doesn't stand out for me. I mean, there is the bear trap scene, which holy moly, I don't know how y'all felt during that. Uh, Like my ankle hurt. That's what I felt like. Yeah. Felt like Dead by Daylight. I loved it. I felt mauled. You felt mauled. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that they would be so straight on with that scene. And seeing that and just being it so graphic. But also, I really love the attention to detail that these aliens had, especially that last scene when you see them dead and it's just teeth and teeth and teeth. And I'm talking about a different teeth this time. It's in your mouth. <laughs> Thankfully. There is a since this is a new release, kind of a lack of information and trivia out there for gore. So I kind of want to talk about uh, two things. One, how you guys thought about the look of these aliens. And I know we talked about it before in the first one, but you see a lot more. You see the attention to detail that they have. But I also want to talk about these cannibals that I thought that were going to happen in the movie. And this is what I was so pissed about it when we were talking about this in the first half, which I wish this scene was extended and I wish something had happened where they came across this tribe of cannibals because you have characters that allude to this going on, yet you don't see any of it. And I think that would have really just amplified this. I don't know how y'all feel about that. Were they cannibals? Yeah, they were pretty. I think it was obvious that they were cannibals. Oh, I didn't think it was obvious at all. Yeah, they're described as feral. I just thought they were assholes. I just thought they were like killy people. <laughs> like they were just going to take the daughter, what they assumed to be the daughter or whatever, and kill him. I would assume because of their eyes, that's what happens when you eat human flesh. Your eyes turn red like that or bad allergies. What a random thing of trivia. They're also <laughs> a part of an apocalypse and they don't have like running water. Everyone else is fine. Well, you know. That's why they're feral. I didn't pick up on the cannibal thing at all. Yeah. I am glad that it wasn't extended, whether or not they were cannibals. And the reason I say that is I think it did its job as being like that road bump where you thought something might happen. You thought that one of them was going to go and it just slowed them down enough to make you worry a little bit. But we didn't have to spend an entire hour with these people that we don't care about whatsoever. They probably could have played into it more. They probably could have had like a third person tag along and then die by them. That would have been maybe interesting, but also I think it wouldn't have added anything to the story. That's I don't know, that's how I feel about it. Yeah, I actually wasn't mad at all about that. I, I'm very glad that they didn't go into a darker, more cannibalistic route just because I feel like, sure, 
it's the common trope that we always see, right? Is hell monsters? Yeah, sure, but also hell is other people. And I think we got just enough to reestablish that and just enough to say, yes, this isn't any different from any other apocalypse movie you've seen in this regard. There are terrible people out there who will take advantage of a situation and, and look to do harm. But for me, that entire scene was such an interesting exploration of, of how to weaponize the the aliens and the creatures. And I absolutely was was a huge fan of that. Well, I think that scene not being like too intense and too drawn out really ties back to this movie not necessarily being about the monsters and the end of the world and aliens being on the earth, right? It's more about like the people and the relationships and how they get along and stuff like that and how they get by doesn't mean it wouldn't be better if it was longer and somebody ate a leg you know (laughs) we're talking about five minutes five minutes just give me that a little bit more of a tease on i just don't think there was enough stakes for me during that scene it was just like oh yeah for sure he could have just pulled that but he couldn't somehow don't know the logistics of that whole thing he wanted some literal like human stakes on the grill (laughs) you know a little nibble that's all you needed I don't know. I just wanted something a little bit more terrifying because Mm. the monsters I had seen already. Did you want the monsters taking a chomp, then sending it back to the kitchen because it wasn't cooked well enough? (laughs) (laughs) I would have loved that. And I would have not liked to have a scene that was very similar to the first one as well, where it's the old man yelling, trying to get the monsters to him. I think it was a very similar scene. Did you just refer to him as an old man? In the first movie? He was an old man. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about this movie. Because, like, who's the old man here? Killian Murphy's young. Yeah, there's no old man in here. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> but but if you think about it, if that's the threat, and you know that yelling will draw them to you and away from the other person, I mean, what else can you do? Like, throw something loud far away? I mean, that only lasts for a minute or two, and they're still going to hear you again. So these people obviously just love sacrificing themselves. I don't know. I feel like there's really a missed opportunity in this movie for devices that make sound in places that are not where you're standing. A Quiet Place 3. Distraction. <laughs> yeah, it's something. Every time they played sound from a speaker that was in their hand, I was like, no. This is the problem. They haven't spent enough blood points on the web with the entity to unlock the perk that allows them to have mobile <laughs> distractions. That's what it is. They're leveling up. <laughs> That's right. Slowly but surely. They they truly do need to get themselves portable alarm clocks right? and set them and throw them like grenades and then run away. Exactly. So simple. Bro, that feels like such a liability. What if it accidentally goes off before you had a chance to throw it? Well, that's true. Don't be dumb. And it's still attracting them all to one area. That's also true because they would hear it from far away. It's just like The Walking Dead. You don't want the herd to come by you. That's right. I can't imagine a herd of these things. I could not either. They were, though, visually my favorite thing to look at, especially that last scene with the teeth. I just couldn't stop staring, specifically the scene with the girl in the train. And she is, um, so she just pulled down, I think, the first aid kit, opens the door, and then you kind of see in the background, like, the monster. And she had to turn her head slightly, and I just love that in the distance that you could see it, because I knew that they were coming, but she didn't notice it, and it was just terrifying in the moment, but visually very stunning. Mm. And then it went to silence, like what we hear from her. I feel like we see a lot more of their cheeks, maybe, or their faces. 
They all got facelifts two years off. Yeah. It feels like their faces are just so stretchy, you know, when they open up to, to open their mouths. I feel like you could probably stick a whole human head in there and, and like a snake, it would just open up for more. They're real flexible too. Some people are into that. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to bring up a note here though, that like these monsters don't really eat people, but they also do eat people. They kind of just kill people. But they're not really eating any of them, you know? In any of these scenes, they all just kind of like run through, attack you, and then roll out and head for the next one. It's weird. Oh, they're sustained by your fear and your pain. (laughs) Oh, God, it hurt. Yep. Well, if we think about an animal that hunts purely based on sound and can't see if there's other threats to it, it it probably needs to like attack anything that's moving, right? And then come back later and swoop in and, and, you know, nibble everything up. Feels exhausting. I don't think this has any natural predators, Mac. I don't think so either. All I'm saying is it sounds very, uh, very, very similar to the Megalodon. I've been listening to the audiobook from the Meg, and it picks up on vibrations made by sound uh, to, to narrow down to its prey. And then it could also look at you, obviously. I'm just saying I want to see the Meg versus the Quiet Place aliens. That's what I want to see. The Meg would win because water. Good point. That's actually a horrible crossover. <laughs> hey, you'd be surprised. These fuckers can probably engineer some things, man. The Sharknado versus A Quiet Place, though. There we go. Even the playing field. So visually, I'm actually going to go for like a little thing that feeds off of Alexis's, which is the inside of the aliens' heads. Particularly, like we get their like ear canals, like listening for sounds, and the way they like open their heads, like a like a kaleidoscope shape. I don't even know. That's not even a shape that makes sense, but you know what I'm saying, okay? Like a blooming flower, like a blooming flower. But it's I don't know. It's so cool to me, and I will say I know that obviously these are not real monsters, but they don't feel like cartoons. You know, they don't feel like stupid CGI monsters. And I am so thankful for that. Okay, so that's actually a huge thing. It's it's not necessarily my favorite aspect of this movie when it comes to the aesthetic or the visuals of it. But the way these monsters interact with the world is so damn good. It's so hard to, to look at it and pick apart the CGI elements because of how much is is influenced, right? Looking at... The, the way the ground shakes a little bit and the way dust flies around, the way that the walls bend and interact when they crash into them, looking at the way the water drops on them, they look like they're fully immersed in this world and that is just quality CGI. I do think visually though, it's a subtle thing, but it's the user framing and it's the in-camera transitions and the way that they're built together in post, specifically when you have the, the day one transitioning in to present day with Marcus behind the cop car and he's screaming, hands over his ear. And looking at how this movie moves between those two timelines, I absolutely love it. It's like a hallmark of premium cinematography when you can use camera movement to move the story along without needing to go straight up George Lucas fade, circle wipe, star wipe. Yeah, there's some camera movements that I picked up on as a person who is not a filmographer, videographer in any way. And I just picked up these little things where I was like, man, that that camera scene that they've just been running through that straight through and it looks beautiful. And we've just been moving from one scene to the next with no flaws. Can I give my completely uneducated opinion on visuals in this movie? Because I don't know how to describe it, but there is a sense of this natural warmth in the movie visually. 
I don't know if it's the color grading that they used, or maybe it's just the colors that they used, but it it legitimately just feels like you've walked out of a cold room and the weather outside is perfect and warm and you're just warming up. That's how it feels while watching it, but it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like a tan like overlay in a desert movie. It doesn't feel bad like that. So here's a question. Have you ever looked at the process of color correction versus color grading and how a film travels from like a completely flat profile to then being painted? by a color by a colorist no i have not look it up it's amazing there are a lot of even like youtube tutorials on it because you can do this with just about any any camera that can shoot in a flat profile but it's about shooting in a profile that gives you the most room to play with your data and to, to play with your color and to push things past a certain range in a histogram and there is a there's such an art to it because you know how different people can perceive color in different ways i can perceive enough to like solidly grade an image but it's certainly not what some of the folks I've met in my life incredibly skilled at this. Picking out the exact shade of a teal-ish blue to bring into like a really natural sky as it's going into like twilight, it's just fucking stunning. That process, I think you'd be uh, very impressed by. I Just the way you're describing it impresses me. Just the fact that you know how it happens. It's literally painting. Yeah, it's literally painting on a computer with footage. That would take so much more skill than I think I would ever have the ability to achieve. And it, it was just done so perfectly in, in this film. And there's a second part for me visually, and that's going to be the way that our characters were treated, like their aesthetics from their clothing to their facial hair, just overall kind of how they show up on film to me seems real. Like a lot of times you'll get people that have perfect shaves in the middle of an Armageddon and you're like, I don't understand where have you been shaving? It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Or their clothes look brand new, but somehow they've been hiding out for three weeks. Everyone here not only, you know, feels kind of lived in, but they look lived in. They look like they've been surviving and it just works so well. It's so true. I actually had a moment where I was like, dang, she's going to wear these clothes the whole movie. And I wonder if they ever wash this costume, which I feel like they don't. It's like, if she gets sweaty, does she just keep wearing the same thing? Does that add to the shtick? I don't know. I definitely appreciated the color grading as well, Mac. I actually took a couple screenshots, but my favorite visual element of this movie was the framing. And Chris, you mentioned this a little bit earlier. It's the way you have so much depth in shots that are like very much front facing the camera. I don't know if you guys know this, but I used to be a photographer for American Eagle for a few years. And I just did a lot of like art stuff as well. But my style was very much flat, but with different layers of dimension in the background. So there was like specifically a shot where the daughter comes out of the train and you can like it like pans out from inside the train and you see like the huge hole that the aliens had tore in it and it just keeps going wider and wider and the wider it gets the more gorgeous the layers are that are added into it uh but i think my number one favorite shot for the framing is actually when marcus the sun is in the bear trap and you get that aerial view of him in the grass with like the lettuce spilled out but then like that really mauled gross nasty looking leg in that rusty bear trap something about like the juxtaposition of you know, like an innocent child and a vicious torture device, basically, um, really plays well in that shot, as well as like the fresh little vegetables, like over the dead, gross ass grass. So Paris, I thought you were about to mention my favorite scene when you were talking about that moment, because there's another moment with the daughter where I just feel like it's shot so beautifully. And it is one of my favorite scenes. And it is the very ending where she's coming out of the recording room with the on-air light that has this bright red light on her. And she's walking towards the monster with like her hearing aid. And for me, that shot, because it's so beautiful, and it also, I feel like, tapped into that like 
80s like stranger thing vibe that we've been talking about without being in like without being obvious or like in your face it was so beautiful that it became one of my favorite scenes even though i didn't like the ending that much that's a that's a lot if you if you make me love this scene without even loving the ending you know my other favorite scene was the chaos at the end of what i guess is the cannibals when the monsters show up so i didn't really care about the cannibal part the humans they weren't really doing it for me when the monsters show up and we're like surfing on boats <laughs> i had a great time i love that chaos i love the little series of events and then of course it ends with him pulling her hearing aid out of his mouth such a great scene you actually described my favorite scene in this whole movie and the chaos of that ending was so good to me and look you can you can say what you want about like the resolution and how the story wraps up but the reason why i love cutting between the brother and sister in their own grapple in their own battles with these monsters and her finally achieving her goal using the interference and the feedback from her hearing aid to broadcast that signal so it can then be weaponized by so many other people who can pick up that signal is because that kid needed some damn arc to his life because honestly he was a liability the whole time i'm not annoyed by him to be clear it's very easy to be annoyed by children in movies i didn't dislike him but he was a liability the whole time he was screaming in pain, which was totally understandable. Uh, almost killed his little brother. So there, there's that, uh, not being able to read the oxygen tank. If he had stayed put, he probably wouldn't have been caught by the monster in the first place. Locked himself in, knocked himself out, right? So there's just some logistical issues with a kid. <laughs> so to see him finally step in and be able to weaponize that signal... Uh, that his sister transmitted to hold it up to then shoot the alien in the head. It just felt like such a good moment of growth for him to be assertive and take a stance and do something. And I feel like that was lacking for him the whole movie. So that was like the final moment of, no, these two are here in tandem getting it done together. And I absolutely love that. My favorite scene was this buildup to the bodies you see left by the guy that's helping them out by Killian. And I think that it alludes to it. And he talks about, you know, how close he was to his family. And you see all these photos. And I'm like, hmm. I told Ryan, I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're probably still alive upstairs or something. Some, you know, some weird thing that he's got going on or they turned into something and he has them up there. But, you know, this whole going through the hazmat suits and going throughout this building, I really love seeing it all. And it just reminded me of like, like a fun, maybe not fun apocalyptic maze, but in general, a fun maze to go through. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a real fun house over here. Oh, let's take a break from these aliens. Just go see the sights and the attractions <laughs> totally true and chris i could not agree with you anymore he needed an arc so bad because he was just the same person doing the same shit and ruining everything so much yeah. for this movie it's okay to have someone who's like pretty static right and isn't doing much but then we got a baby and the baby's not doing shit so you can't be a baby too man <laughs> no one's a bigger liability than that baby I think I have to be that person and go with the opening scene, the prologue that we get, the the action part of it specifically. Pretty good. So good. Mm -hmm. That like cutless feeling we get watching these these long stretches of action just going and going and going. And it all seems to be, I mean, first of all, how do you even do that that perfectly? 
you are some serious talent working on this film here. Just saying. But the the car scene, absolutely stunning to watch that. It felt like watching Children of Men. I don't know if you've ever seen that film, but it's amazing in its use of that similar kind of just nonstop scene. And it was so effective here as well. Like you really are worried about the people running around, walking down the sidewalk. You're even worried a little bit about the main characters you already know survive, but you're still like, oh my gosh, are they going to get hurt? You already saw you saw the first movie. You don't have to worry, but they do such a good job with that it puts you on the edge of your seat and you and you feel that stress. So it, that scene was just so amazing to start this movie off. Yeah, the chaos that you get in the town when Lee and Regan are in that uh, this restaurant and the cell phone rings and the, and the aliens come in. That moment of chaos and those kills, I know we don't get to see it all in a lot of detail, but that bit was like my favorite segment of kill in this whole movie because of just the pure anarchy that was ensuing. I totally agree, Chris. That was a really great kill sequence. All those people were absolutely trashed and wasted and destroyed in moments. Um, and Mac, I really thought you were going to take my favorite scene by saying it was the, the opening, but I preferred the non-action parts of that scene, actually. I really liked the slice of life that we got of the Abbott family before things hit the fan and kind of seeing like the nods to the original with John Krasinski going into that same pharmacy. Uh, you kind of realize like, oh, so this is their town. This is what it was like before the whole events of the entire first movie. And then you kind of see their relationships with one another with the daughter being like, don't cut those oranges. Your hands are disgusting. I'll do it. Um, so it was cute to see like that bit of color added in to a family that we've already seen go through so much trauma. It was like, oh, look, they had a nice little life and like a local baseball game. I also thought it was pretty funny that they did everything they could to avoid showing that little boy's face, like the youngest son. I don't know if they had to recast him because he got too old or if it's the same actor and he was just too old, but like every shot they showed of him, he was like, just turned away from the camera so you couldn't see. Look away, avert your gaze. Yeah. No, I I love that. And I love that you bring that up because it does so much to build the foundation of the characters that we get in the film. And when I first saw Killian Murphy's character Emmett in that scene, I was just like immediately suspicious. First off, he looks real sketchy in this movie. I think we can all agree. That's just his face. Looks like a serial killer. I don't know. He always does. Yeah. Yeah. It's red eye. It's red eye, like you said. And I think seeing that moment he had with the, how do you say, dive Right. And she teaches him how to sign dive and see how that comes in later. But to also see the dynamics between them, between the mother and her children, right? To see how she calms down Marcus and tells him to breathe, et cetera, to see what that life was like. And again, it hits differently post COVID, right? When you think back to a time when like, remember when everything was normal and you had no idea what was coming and you were living your life unsure of what this weird fucking thing was that you're vaguely hearing about on the news. Oh, what is this? A bomb? Maybe. I don't know. It it hits differently now with that kind of perspective. And I think it is such a justice to the to the arc that we get for the rest of our characters in this. Yeah, I have to agree. I think I kind of already said this, but the characters here are so good. I mean, they were so good in the first one, right? I don't think we were expecting anything different. I do have two kind of qualms with like the characters. Maybe more so how they're written. For me, Emmett being like a bad guy or like useless or whatever. I don't know. It was very forced to me. Like his evolution of I was your neighbor and now I'm just some guy and like we are all bad people out here and I can't help you. And then evolving back into I've helped you, you know, get to the island and everything like that. It didn't really work for me. Like I didn't feel that he was actually the bad guy. Even when they showed bones upstairs. I don't really know what we're really going for there. I don't know. I never bought into, 
I'm, you know, I'm out here by myself and I'm and I'm bad now. I was just waiting for him to turn. I was okay and on board with the idea of him being such an ass. Like, I can't, like, I've already rescued you, but I can't help you. You can't stay because of day one versus day 400, et cetera, right? But I, I can see why I didn't work for you. I totally agree, Ryan. I feel like Killian Murphy's character added almost no value for me. His story was like, Ugh, I didn't care. And there was actually a moment where I thought he was going to have a better, more interesting story. It's when they're inside like the little, I don't know, what was that? Like a furnace that they kept crawling into. And she's like, oh my God, you have to help us. And then she reveals the baby. I thought for sure it was going to be revealed later on that it was his baby. And he was like, oh shit, you're pregnant from that time that we fucked. And now you have a baby and it's my baby. Okay, The Walking Dead. Yeah. I never saw The Walking Dead. <laughs> That's exactly what I told Ryan, by the way. I was like, that, this would be great. Oh, damn. So it was already taken then. Well, I think that would have just made me care about that character more because as it stands, he was just kind of there as a plot device. And he was like, oh, I have a a muddy sense of morals. And I'm like, "Eh, I don't care about this. Get out of my face. See, I took it a different way. I didn't think that he was supposed to be bad. I thought that he was supposed to be broken. And the fact that they were together is what brought him out of that because he thought that's just life now. We're all just broken. This is all game over. His whole family's gone. He doesn't know anything else. And here comes along this family who's surviving and doing it together somehow. And that like lifts him out of, he's just been in a funk for a while and it just takes him out of that funk. This is a man who wants a meal, but wants to find a microwave dinner that he can just heat up or just add water and be okay instead of starting over. Because your man was just looking for a place with a dad void. That's where he, that's what he found. Yeah, that's a way to put it. Speaking of dad void, the other thing that kind of drove me nuts here is I feel like a lot of like the, I don't know, emotional tension of this movie comes from missing John Krasinski. And there was a point where I was just like, we get it. Y'all lost your dad, your husband. And I don't know, maybe I'm a heartless woman for that. Like yesterday, though. Yeah, it was like just that day. (laughs) Now that I'm putting everything into perspective. I understand. But for me, it's been two years. Okay. I'm just saying there was like a halfway point in the movie where I was like, let's move forward with something else now. Like, I don't want to talk about you're like your dad. You're not like your dad. Like, okay. But I don't know. I also think I'm just a grump. So I'll take that. No, you're right, Ryan. There was a lot of heavy handed dad stuff that I think we could have done with a little bit less. Slightly. I think COVID just really messed the timing up for all of us because we would have seen this a lot sooner. I would have been disappointed if it had less dad energy, because then it's like, what the fuck? You're going to ignore that you just lost John Krasinski and you had this whole moment where he said, I love you and sacrificed himself to the aliens? How do you forget this, kid? I wouldn't mind a completely unrelated movie where that beginning life that they have is the whole movie. (laughs) Just watching him just like stroll into the pharmacy and grab an apple. And steal those fruits. Yeah, and then go to the baseball game. Late you know, laid and they're like, just like living their lives. It was actually really interesting to watch that. And I feel like that would be a super good movie. I think that's called Midwest shit. Yeah. TM. Yeah. Biggest Midwest shit. But also when everyone's just standing around watching this comet, whatever, they're coming in on a spaceship. I don't know. And I think that's what puts me into reality in this movie. Like I never feel like I'm watching a movie. I felt like I was in it because I feel like I would be that shocked. But I've seen enough scary movies to know, just start booking it. But all these people are like, what the heck is this? Yeah. 
The problem with things shooting in the sky is you have no perception of how close or far they are. You think you might, but you don't. I've seen when they shoot rockets and stuff off from Florida, and it feels like it's right next to you, and also like it is as far as anything could ever be. It's the weirdest experience when stuff is shooting through the air. Well, what's that in the sky? It's either Superman, Brightburn, or The Quiet Place Aliens, or Cloverfield. Or a Tesla. (laughs) Yeah, also that. There's one character that I feel like did not get enough spotlight in this movie, and it's the man on island played by Jaiman Hansu, and I pronounce that probably all sorts of crazy, but one, an amazing actor, but everything that he's in, he just doesn't get enough screen time. And his life on their like perfect little island seemed interesting, even though we we just knew that it was going to go wrong at one point. But he's like so focused and he hasn't had to deal with this real life and who knows how long. But his death was so quick. It was just like completely over in a, in a hot second. And that kind of bummed me out because I feel like he could have added so much more. He was doing stupid things. One, he didn't pull the garage door down all the way. What are you thinking? Yeah, but he had good reason. He was legitimately concerned that he had lost them because he was so focused on getting the alien's attention to be just on top of them. I totally get it. He feels like he wants to protect his family. He wanted to turn back and go back for his family. In the end, he got it in the back and that sucks, but I did not uh, have an issue at all with, with his moment of like, I need to go back. What if we lost them? I don't hear them. I don't see them. You just got got. And he's such a contrast to Emmett because he's where Emmett probably started out, where he's so family focused and he thinks everything's going to work out. And he thinks, obviously, we must have outrun it like this. This can't be a problem. I'll just go back and make sure that they're okay, right? Whereas Emmett, of course, by this point is like thinking in nihilistic terms, like everything is doomed and and nothing's going to work and I'm just going to die if you guys are around me. So it's it's kind of interesting to see like Emmett's been kind of growing towards where the man on island already is, but in a more grounded sense. I would like to complain about something related to this, okay? And it's not, I don't know, maybe it is my worst part of the movie. I don't understand why he had to die with them going to the radio station. Now, was there something to do with the radio station? Certainly. Did it need to involve the monster? Certainly not. Certainly she could have done what she did before and they could have shot the one monster on the island with a shotgun, not destroyed the radio station, just hollered at their family like, yo, dog, we're here. Come through. Okay, we'll come get you. We'll be there in two days. We'll see you. You know, we'll make things happen. Things are great here. I just want you to know. I just don't understand. And I, I, I know it's for the movie. I get it. But I don't understand why they needed to do the whole spiel of like going up into the thing and changing what was broadcasting and all that stuff because she could have just done the thing that they did before. It didn't know there was no difference of like attracting it to your the sound that you're making from like a little speaker and stuff. I so I think that was a casualty of them being there and they weren't expected to be. Because their original plan was to weaponize that signal and to make cause that interference in that feedback so that it could play on radios and people could eventually use it to arm themselves. The I think the only reason the alien was lured to the radio station was because they were there on the island and the father and them wanted to pull that thing away from attacking everyone else. Well, you did see one of the aliens at one point be able to break through that barrier a little bit. Right. So it seemed like the stronger the signal, the more it was able to like cripple essentially the alien. Well, let me admit here that I kind of hate the whole entire concept of attracting it to you with a speaker anyway, because it just brings it closer to you. But maybe this is just, you know, maybe I need to think less because I'm, I also don't like that part. You need to be in stun gun range. Right, right. I just, you know, 
don't bring your killer closer to you. I don't know. You know how you get someone close enough to stab him? You get him close enough to stab him. Yeah, but it's not a good idea when it's an alien, okay? Says the woman who admitted she'd see these aliens crash one day and then walk up to it and try to tell it a joke. <laughs> hey, I didn't say I would make it. <laughs> didn't say it was a good idea. So you're out early in zombie movies and in alien movies. Probably. They both require survival. Yeah. Which I'm not interested in. Could do, but not interested in. But here's the thing. You're a valuable asset because you're a boat girl and a fish girl. And you're a pre-med. You make furniture. You're a carpenter. You're an asset. And yet you want to tell jokes to aliens. I think you're giving me a lot more titles than I deserve. I would have already been on that island by myself, but no one else would have been allowed. Okay. I'll tell you what wouldn't be allowed on my island, Ryan, and it is all of the nasty feet in this movie. Listen, the first one was guilty of it too, but I can just live my entire life without doing tight close-up shots of dirty hobbit feet. I don't need it. It's the worst part of this movie. Don't look at me. I don't want to see those. And I get it. It makes sense. And it's like, oh, we got to tiptoe on the dust and stuff. But like, clean up your feet. I don't know. Get out of my face. Tiptoe to the tulips. There was a scene where Emmett had boots on and I looked at Alexis and I went, I feel like boots would be fine. Yeah, exactly. Not walking on sand, just walking on the brush in boots. I was like, he's fine. It's We can wear shoes. Yeah. At one point they were walking through crunchy leaves and I was like, there's grass two feet to your left. <laughs> I thought the same thing. Couldn't you just get away with soft sole moccasins or something, you know? At least socks. Yeah, socks would still keep you silent. Yeah, socks. Everybody should be wearing socks in this. Ooh, those hospital socks that have the rubberized bottoms. Uh, it's perfect. Also, I don't know if it's the shoes that are the biggest issue, unless you're like on a basketball court and you're squeaking. It's probably the weight of your body that's making the most sound and the fact that we all walk like cows and not like foxes. So I think all we would have to do is change the way that we step and we'd probably be pretty good there. Speak for yourself, Mac. I've walked like a fox my whole life. (laughs) The worst part for me, which isn't even the worst part of this movie, was I just wish there was more of this prequel that we had. I think because I went into the movie thinking that there would be. Totes. Yeah, and I would have loved to have seen a lot more of John Krasinski's like character because I got this sort of doomsday prepper vibe and I wanted to envision this a little bit more just so I could prepare for myself. So you could fantasize? (laughs) I'd like to see how they first set up their house, you know, with like the lights and everything. Like I'd like to see how those things came about. Yeah, where's that montage? Yeah, I mean, that would be an interesting thing to see. I want to know how many stores he had to raid to find all those red lights. You know what I mean? That's not just available at your local general store. You just paint regular lights. Or someone bleeds and it dried blood. Yep, Alexis, that's right. (laughs) That's the most reasonable explanation. There you go. I think the worst part of this movie for me, and similar to what Alexis just said, right? It's not really the worst part. I think this movie is so strong all around that this is the worst relative part, but is in no way a reflection of like, this is just a weak part of the story. And it's going to be Marcus, and it's going to be Marcus being semi-useless and more of a a liability and a catastrophe until he finally comes to it and takes some action at the very end. I think had he been a little bit more mature, and granted, I don't think he's immature. He's trying to keep his sister close. You know, he's traumatized in his own way. But had he been a little bit older, a little bit more seasoned, I think we would have avoided a lot of the, the calamity that he really brings upon himself at some points. And there's a moment, and I didn't, I didn't like it. It's not really a bad part, but it's just a bit of darkness. When he's staring at that baby, I wondered if he was going to kill the baby and take the air. I really wondered that. Oh my God, same. 
I thought that too. Okay, but if you were him, I think there is a possibility that you have that thought when you're dying. I feel like that is a normal thought to have. Maybe not an action to take. Right. Also, like, the baby wouldn't be able to survive on its own, and he would. Baby was mostly just annoying us anyway. I'm not saying it's not an uncommon thought, but it was a moment of darkness that I don't think I was really expecting. And again, this is, the for me, the worst relative part. I don't think it's a bad part of the movie, but there was there was just that moment, and when he started flipping back and forth between the oxygen mask of taking a little bit for himself, giving a little bit to the baby, it's like, bruh, if you just put the fucking towel on the door, you wouldn't be in this situation. What are you doing, kid? Your mom said you had everything you need, and yet you fucked it up. You had one job. Don't die. I will say for me, one of the worst parts is that the like fight scene with the monster where he is with his mom at the end of this movie is so similar to the one that we get in the first movie with like the water and like flames and like the whole thing. It just, I don't know. I didn't like that. That was one thing Alexis and I were complaining about in the movie. Did it have to be so similar? What else would they do? I don't know. Something else. Listen, there's other ways to die. I don't know. A trap. (laughs) But I didn't. I just didn't love it. I have a logistical complaint, but it's actually about logistics. It's about the fact that in the first one, they seem to have the mindset of always being prepared, right? You always have to have like a plan for everything. You have a trail that's laid out, specific places you're allowed to walk. Everything's like perfectly planned out. And in this one, obviously, we're thrown into chaos. So it makes sense that we don't have that. But when you arrive and there's someone who's there and who's new and can possibly help you, wouldn't the first thing you would think be like, oh, we have a place where we can hide ourselves, but we have to worry about oxygen possibly. Step number one, before anybody goes anywhere, we got to go get more oxygen. Like, let's just go ahead and let's just take that task. And then you guys can go on whatever journeys you want to go on, run away in the middle of the night, whatever you got to do. But we need to immediately right now, go get some more oxygen tanks. All right, Mac has to go get the oxygen. I think step one is tie the towel around the thing so that it cannot close. Yeah. And you don't die inside. (laughs) Why is it an option? Why is there an optional towel? Right. (laughs) Because we have a movie. That's right. It's because most people design things to the level of competence they have and not the level of competence that the children around them have. That's the real problem. Still, what if it slips? Just make a permanent non-closure, okay? I do have a question about that, though. So let's say, I don't know what his plan was. What if he was getting attacked and he had to hide out in there and they were like at the door? If he can remove, you know, if he can open the door with that towel, they can open the door as well then. So there's really never going to be a time where he can just like trap himself in there and not have to worry if they're right there. I think his ego and his cockiness implies, nah, I'm going to have an early warning signal, which is those bottles with the wire. And I am, they're never going to be close enough to see me get in here. And at this point, if they see me, they deserve me. Take me. Take me out. I'm ready to go. Do we know what their climbing abilities were like for trees? Because my thought would be to live in a treehouse, just saying. I mean, they can climb fucking scale walls, right? Like It looked like they'd climb no problem. Yeah, I think it's great. I think they'd prefer a tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I imagine their their feet's are very sticky. Like, did he or to walls like suction cups? You know what I mean? I think they stab into walls. Yeah, very stabby. Really? I didn't see a lot of like perforations where their claws were just from walking. Yeah, they kind of have a honey badger vibes where they can just do anything they want to do. They're like magic. You know what I want to do? Probably not watch this movie again. Damn. Eh. What? I'll watch the first one over and over if you wanted me to. I'll literally watch them back to back. That's I Honestly, I think that's the right way to watch them. I was going to say, I think it is the right way to watch them so you don't forget that this just happened, that he just died. I need like five years before I watch any of them again. 
Interesting. I think I would, and I have a feeling I'm going to have to watch this very soon. There are a few people that I know that wanted to watch this with me, so we will see. Probably watch this again, but I think it'll be like a year or so maybe before I watch it again. But I'm definitely like Mac going to watch these back to back. I agree. A back-to-back double feature seems like the way to go if you were to rewatch it. I watched this first in theaters and watched it again today on my iPad and definitely prefer the theater experience. So if you can, do that. Did you rewatch the original before you went to see this? No. No, I got the gist. Because I had just seen it like within the past six months. It was so good. I remembered everything about it. So I absolutely will watch this again. I'm going to actually try to sit my girlfriend down because she hasn't seen the first one. And I think she'd absolutely love it. It was actually very exciting. I just watched this yesterday for the first time as we're recording this. And the weekend, the long weekend I was away with her and her best friends for her birthday, her two best friends were talking about it. And I was just like, oh, shit, I can't listen to any of this. You two should definitely watch the first and rewatch this one because it would be a lovely experience. Here's my problem, though. I can only handle so much John Krasinski because I do like him. What? I do like him. Hold on. I'll I'll leave right now. Stand by. There's no John Krasinski slander. I just think Jim from The Office is toxic as fuck. So I have to, like, separate them in my mind. There are some great videos showing that he is actually worse than Dwight. No, he's not. He's hilarious. Mm-hmm. He's very toxic. He is hilarious, but he is more of a bully than Dwight is. Absolutely. That's why it's funny. Yeah. I don't know. I love Jim from The Office. I mean, I've definitely binged The Office before, so I could watch probably hours of John Krasinski without having any problems. Also, John Krasinski and Jim are two different people. Very true. Exactly. I like John Krasinski. Not crazy about Jim. But aside from whether or not we'd watch this movie, I mean, it's Universal Slosh. I think that speaks for itself. We do have a bit in store for Factor Fiction. Surely do. It's a new segment we're going to call Factor Fiction. Number one, when filming Killian Murphy's character running through the mill, leading the family down the slide to the furnace, Murphy accidentally broke one of Millicent Simmons' fingers on the furnace door. Fact. Fact. Oh, fuck. I hate that. That can't be true. False. Fiction. It's a toe. This one's fiction. <gasps> it's a toe. God damn it. Yes. He did accidentally step on one of her toes and broke it while they were running. She had to spend the rest of the shoot in a boot. Toes are so lame. They're so tiny, but so important. Always in the way. Always in the way. And always ugly. And so ugly. I've broken my toe and it's not fun because there's really nothing you can do for it. It just takes forever to heal. Let's go on to number two. Emily Blunt rehearsed the scene in which she reverses from the bus for weeks with a stunt team to get things perfectly right and make sure it was absolutely as safe as possible. Um, fiction. I don't think that she actually drove that car. Fiction. I'm going to say fact. That felt like it took the most coordination of anything. This one's fiction. The stunt team rehearsed for weeks, but when Krasinski asked his wife if she wanted to rehearse it once, he replied, no, I want you to get the real action. So she just was winging it? She was, she knew what the plan was, right? But exactly how she would act, that was all on her in that day. But like you've mentioned, she didn't drive the car. So it was a really cool setup. I mentioned Children of Men before. That was also an inspiration for this type of shot in this movie. So they had this cool jig setup, if you will. It's like the roof is not even there. And there's like a special robot camera. And it's programmed to move at certain times to certain places. It was just a really cool setup. But it meant that they could get this amazing long stretch of action without having to do a 30 different cuts like most movies would cheap out and do. So pretty interesting there. Number three, Blunt and Krasinski stated how much they enjoyed writing, directing, and acting in the Quiet Place movies, but they feel that they've told the stories they wanted to tell and won't be making a third movie. Uh, fact. I feel like this ended and ended. I I think it's a fact. I don't know. I feel like at this point, go for the trilogy. I don't need it, but I could see if you forced out a second one, I'm sure you got room for a third. 
That's what she said. Well, this is a fiction. Blunt has stated that her husband has a whole arc of ideas that could work. And I think he just wanted to see how people responded to this one before he fully engaged his brain on the third one. But he has a couple of great ideas. So I think it kind of works like this one works. They wanted to see how the first one went. And now they're going to see how this one goes. And then they'll figure out if the if and when they want to make the third and how they want to do it. I'm ready for his next venture. I don't need more of the same. I like to, like he's doing a lovely thing. Let's do another different lovely thing. Number four, Emily Blunt's Evelyn is astonishingly resourceful and resilient, but you may be surprised by how similar the actor is to her character in this regard. Blunt has actually gone through survival training, including good old-fashioned map and compass land navigation. Believe that this is a fact. I'm going fact because actors get so bored. I'm going to say fiction. I feel like Emily Blunt is mostly helpless in day-to-day life because she can afford to be. This one is a fiction. Blunt says she's terrible at reading maps, directions, and even knowing where she's going at a street that she's been on 50 times. Oh, I gave her too much credit. I should have known. And of course, number five, while the monstrous alien invaders are effectively impenetrable and incredibly strong, they're blind as blind can be. So since they didn't pilot UFOs to Earth, Krasinski explained that they survived on meteorites formed by their exploded home planet. Mm, Fiction, he never explained anything, I hope. Mm, I'm pretty sure he had it in his head, didn't explain it to anyone. So, fiction? Okay, you guys have literally been saying the same thing as each other this whole time, and I've been saying the opposite, and I'm just going to keep that going, because while we were talking about this, I was like, how did they get to this planet? And I was like, maybe they had a planet before, and they just like infested it so much that it exploded, and all the pieces just scattered across the universe, and that's how it got here. So, fact. This one's a fact. I actually, I I think this is a great explanation. To sci-fi. Well, but there's aliens. It's sci-fi already. <laughs> it's we're there, we're there, and it's it's a good explanation. And the reason it's good is because it was done completely away from the film. Well done, as always, for a Quiet Place Part Two. That's been Factor Fiction. Well, there you have it, folks. A Quiet Place Two was worth the wait, indeed, earning a universal slash on our show. And look, we've talked about a lot here, but there's still so much more to cover. We have to know what you think and what your take was, what your theater experience was, or if you're holding out for streaming. Tell us what it was like watching it in your own living room. Now, keep in mind, there are a number of ways you can reach out to us, starting first with our website, hackerslash.com. We're on our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you can think of the next clever thing that I should say, you should reach out to our Hackerslash hotline. You can leave us a voicemail at 757-606-0128 or visit hackerslash.com slash contact to send us an audio message. Or if you just appreciate silence like I do, you can send us an email to feedback at hackerslash.com. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, consider becoming one of our patrons like our new friend Harold. You can visit patreon.com slash hackerslash to earn cool perks for as low as $1 a month. We'll see you next time, folks. And remember, there are people out there. People worth saving. Bye. Bye.